Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, here we go. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, y'all, I'm David Summers. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time, wall to wall, treetop tall, with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains. Hey, Ron, I hear you going home for Christmas. That's cool. Yeah, man. You know, usually they come to me for Christmas, you know, but we're going to make a trip up there uh, growing up into Kentucky. Uh, and a beautiful trip, beautiful ride. A uh, couple of ways we can get there, and it's uh, uh, looking forward to it, man. Uh, it's uh, going to be a beautiful trip. Liable to get some snow, liable to run us out of there about next Thursday. <laughs> uh, snow comes, you know, we'll, we'll probably go. We don't have the proper uh, equipment to drive to, to do much in that stuff. Right. And maybe I misspoke because actually you're not going home, but you are going to go to your son's home, Chad's home, and you'll see Chad and, of course, your grandson who's 16. Yeah. And 16. six nine. So. Yeah. Yeah, that little fella's really coming up, Ron. Oh, yeah, man. I, I'm liable. His name is Charles. I'm going to have to start calling him Sir Charles here. <laughs> Absolutely. And he won't whack me around, you know. Hey, we're going to be watching social media because you, you spent some time with them on Thanksgiving and leave it to the stud to get everybody down onto the carpet in the living room because... We're going to work on the leg lock or something, but that was a lot of fun. And a lot of folks on social media were catching on to that and uh, really enjoying some video. So we're going to be watching for Sir Charles. But now listen, he's kind of committed to basketball, right? Yeah, yeah, man. He's a, he's into it big time. Uh, he plays on three teams, man. He's on the freshman team. He's on the junior varsity team. And he's <laughs> been picked up and he's he's on the varsity Wow. No, no surprise at six, nine. And you think he's still got more growing in him? Oh yeah, man. He's just now hitting his growth spurt. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Uh, it's over seven feet. It just depends on how far over seven, man. So. That's awesome. Hey, if we, if we get a chance to check you out on social media over the weekend and well, hopefully you'll have a chance to post a little something with the grandson and that's a, uh, that's going to be fun. All right, listen, I can't believe it, Ron. With this stud cast, we end another year. Now, 280 episodes. This one is titled Christmas Week 1978 and much more. It sounds like it really is going to be a pretty cool 
Studcast. Hey, by the way, we want to mention that you're going to be back. We're going to be off next week, but you're going to be back here on January 4th. That's correct. Right after the first of the year. So this is going to be the last Studcast for the next week or so, but we will be back on January 4th and we'll resume with number 281. But back to number 280. Go ahead, Stud. Well, you know, I, I think it's this is going to be something special, Dave. We're going to talk about the past. Uh, we're going to talk some about the future, actually, in 1979. And I'm going to kind of describe what happened in both the territories in the last week of 1978. That's where we are. And oddly enough, uh, very close to that same time of the year right now as we are in 2022, 44 years later, man. So we're talking about matches that were 44 years ago. And we're just kind of running along in sync with the uh, 44 years earlier. So uh, one territory, southeast of Knoxville, and they're going to have a Christmas Day card uh, in its week. We're talking about the week of Christmas, 1978. And this Gulf Coast Territory, uh, they didn't have a Christmas card, but, boy, they were winning the attendance battle, battle man, during this point uh, between the two territories. And I don't think, uh, you know, Dave, what we do, there's not too many uh, – a uh, wrestling podcast anywhere in the world, man, that does what we do, you know, and in, in these studcasts. Each episode kind of relives history as closely as possible to what actually happened 44 years earlier. Uh, we give the actual cards. We talk about the wrestlers and the type of match that they're in. We talk about the winners and the losers as accurately as, uh, as that I, can, I can account for. We talk about the TV shows that promoted those cars on a particular date. And, uh, you know, with this unique format and these studcasts, man, we could possibly end up in the Smithsonian, man, in Washington, D.C. Wow. I, I, I got to admit, I've never thought about it that way, stud, but you could be right. All right, so you're cataloging logging professional wrestling history, and you're doing it one week at a time as it actually happened during the territory era. That's pretty cool. Every episode is absolutely historic. All right. So that being said, what history are we going to be focusing on on this studcast? Well, this one, man, is really going to push the envelope, Dave. Uh, we're going to finish the last week of 1978 in both the territories. Uh, each of them, we're going to talk about one card in each territory. Uh, and uh, then we're going to break with our normal format a little bit. We're not going to cover the TV shows that promoted those cards like we normally do, simply because uh, there's going to be so many other things in this studcast. Because it's the end of the year, I really want to – I've crammed it full, man. And uh, and I want to give everyone uh, the winners and the losers of those two cards that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the attendance figures uh, for the last two weeks of 1978. And, uh, and like I said in the title, and a whole lot more. Uh, and so far, you know, Southeastern Wrestling, uh, both these territories uh, talk about, uh, you know, the success that's happened there. And uh, in spite of the economy at that time, mm-hmm. uh, we'll look at some events in particular that helped create that success. We'll focus on some of the matches and cards that made 1978 so special. Uh, at the end of it, we'll give the attendance figures for the entire year. We'll talk a little bit about the TV ratings. And then we're going to look into the future. We'll talk about the We'll discuss some of the huge year of 1978 where we kind of climbed the mountain, man, and uh, uh, had a great successful run with a company that was really down and uh, and a territory that was really – people thought had died, that was done. 
and we were able to bring it back. We'll discuss the the drop that uh, from that mountain that's going to come in 1979, most difficult year in southeastern history. We laid the foundation for the Knoxville War, and uh, we'll talk about the heartbreak of the extremely successful Gulf Coast Territory uh, started to fall apart a little bit in 1979. In spite of its discovery, man, of the arguably the biggest star in the sports history. And I don't think I need to say who it is, but uh, this guy goes on to be uh, the man. Wow. Okay. So if we get all that in, hopefully we end the year with one more great learning tree question, too. All right. Go ahead and tell us who the man is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. All right. So, all right. If we get through all of that, Ron, this could be the best studcast yet. So, where do we ride to first? Let's start to ride with Southeastern's first event of Christmas week, 1978. That would have been in Knoxville, Southeastern Knoxville. Uh, Christmas came on a Monday, so we ran on a Monday night. Christmas card in the Coliseum uh, was the fourth Christmas night event, uh, beginning uh, when I first went there in 1974 and started the company. We started right away uh, in 1975 through 1978. Uh, we ran Christmas night, and it kind of became a, a Christmas tradition by this point. The opening match was Ted Allen versus George McCrary. Dennis Hall was facing a great star man in the early days there of Southeastern, uh, returning there, Butch Malone. And uh, he was the guy the team with Norvell Austin. They were managed by Homer Odell uh, years earlier. Charlie Cook wrestled another returning star to the territory, Jim Dalton. Uh, Ronnie Garvin faced off against the mighty Yankee. And uh, Rip Smith and Mike Stallings wrestled against Bob Ruth and Bob Orton Jr. It was a special tag match with a $1,000 fine for being disqualified. Kevin Sullivan and Ken Lucas were going up against Tor Tanaka and Ron Wright. Uh, so Wright's got his big monster back again. And the next event was an NWA non-sanctioned lights-out Russian chain match between me and the great Malenko. Main event, by golly, a lot of stuff on this card. 14-man <laughs> elimination match with $10,000 going to the winner of that. <laughs> that. That is a big-time card, Ron. All right, so I think I counted eight matches. An elimination match for a $10,000 prize. A non-NWA-sanctioned lights-out Russian chain match. Two tags and four single matches. All right, so since we're not doing TV shows on this stud cast, what about the real results of the big card on that one? Okay, uh, so Ted Allen actually won the match against George McCrary. Uh, Butch Malone won his first match back against Dennis Hall. Charlie Cook beat Jim Dalton. Ronnie Garvin basically destroyed by the Yankee. I mean, Garvin was the top of his game at this point. Bob Roop and uh, Bob Orton Jr. won over Rip Smith and Mike Stallings. And the challenge tag between the Southeastern tag champions, Kevin Sullivan and Ken Lucas, versus Tor Tanaka and Ron Wright was won by Lucas and Sullivan by disqualification. So the deal was if you got disqualified, uh, you had to pay $1,000. So Ron Wright not only had to pay the $1,000 uh, because they got disqualified, but he got beat in the match and lost the match too. So 
He had a double whammy, man. Uh, so, and then in my match, I defeated DeBoris Maliko. And uh, what was at this time, his famous Russian chain match. And was going to be challenged in, in the next week for a Russian death match by Malenko, which is seven days later, which is going to fall on New Year's Day on the following Monday. So, uh, Ronnie Garvin... Uh, you know, and Bob Orton Jr., they ended up the last two men in the 14-man elimination match with $10,000 going to the winner. Uh, Bob Roop, uh, Orton's tag partner, returned to the ring. He was the last guy that Garvin eliminated and sent him to the dressing room. He came back to the ring, and he threw something in Garvin's eyes. And, uh, you know, it uh, kind of blinded him, and it really helped his partner, Bob Orton Jr., beat him, actually get a win over Ronnie Garvin. Uh, then Orton left for the money, and right away uh, he's going to demand a title match with Garvin the next week. And uh, so Garvin's pretty blinded. He had a real problem with his eyes for for uh, probably two or three weeks there at least. And uh, so Garvin agreed to defend the belt against Orton, but he said only if both guys could be blindfolded for the championship match. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Now that sounds like a pretty cool night of wrestling, stud, no doubt. All right. It also sounds like there was going to be another great card one week later on New Year's Day. So what kind of attendance figures are you going to give us for this Christmas week in southeastern Knoxville in 1978? Well, let's start with the Monday night, which was Christmas card. It was in the Coliseum. Uh, it was another sellout. Uh, the Coliseum figure was 5,300. Uh, the next five nights saw another 15,800 fans, just about 16,000 more fans during the course of that week. Uh, we ran two cities in Tennessee. We ran three cities in Kentucky, plus Knoxville. And uh, that, in, that was for the entire Christmas week. We had uh, 21,100 total fans in southeastern Knoxville territory in that week. That's a pretty good week, no doubt about it. All right. So tell us about the card for the week in southeastern Gulf Coast? Well, it was our first year down there, man, and uh, we didn't have a, a city building in the territory that was willing to run on Christmas night, which wasn't unusual. You know, it, it takes a while to get buildings uh, comfortable with uh, you being uh, such a good uh, client and drawing such big crowds to take a chance on running these holiday nights. So I was upset about that, uh, but I was unable to find a regular city's billing, like I said, that was willing to change, uh, you know, uh, and run on Christmas night. So we'd not been running matches there long enough to prove that we could make it work, although we were doing some big business in a lot of those cities, especially Mobile. Uh, and uh, that's not ever going to happen again in southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, by golly, we got to have cities that are jumping and begging to get these Christmas nights and these Thanksgiving nights. So, uh, you know, we could uh, we could make up for, for the loss of the Christmas night card. Uh, but because of New Year's Eve uh, was always a terrible night for wrestling, to make the matter a little bit worse down there, Pensacola's night was on Sunday. So you couldn't run on New Year's Eve. That's the worst night of the year to try to have any type of event. Right. right. So yeah. so yeah. we could only run down there in the southeastern uh, Gulf Coast area five cities for that entire week. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so to make, you know, 
And so no, then we had to switch cities dates, which that kind of always hurt your town a little bit. So Montgomery normally was a Monday night town, but they didn't want to run on Christmas. So we had to move it to Tuesday. That means Mobile had to move from Tuesday to Wednesday. And Pensacola that ran on Sunday ran on a Saturday night. So thankfully, man, that territory was on fire, man. We were really doing great down there. And uh, fact, uh, it was a special Christmas week. That just helped us greatly with this problem. You know, only five matches as compared to Knoxville six. So, uh, so let's use Mobile's card on Wednesday night, uh, December the 27th, 1978, as an example of what was happening down there, southeastern Gulf Coast, Christmas week, 1978. So Mobile, obviously, was the best city in the territory at that time. It had the same card as Montgomery and Dothan every, every week. Had that same deal that week, too. Uh, but to give Mobile something special for this Christmas week card, uh, Robert had done a little angle specifically for Mobile that was going to be seen only in Mobile. It was going to, within a couple of weeks, lead to Norvell Austin becoming a baby face. Mm. So when the angle was complete and Norvell became the baby face in Mobile, uh, the rest of the territory knew nothing about it. But we videoed, obviously, both all three parts of this angle, mm -hmm. and it was all going to be shown on the TV to everywhere in the entire territory. So Norvell Austin is going to go over to the babyface side, <laughs> and he's in a part of the country down there where he's going to become a monster star. So, so you're really back to doing something new again, right, Ron? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's things like this that you just told us uh, a behind the kayfabe curtain angle that really makes these stud cast so special. That is really cool. All right, so I can't wait to hear more about that. But first, let's go to the Mobile card. Wednesday night, December 27th of Christmas week, 1978, in the big building there, right? Yeah, we were in the auditorium, the municipal auditorium. Mm -hmm. It was, wow, I think 12, 14,000 seats. It was a big building. Uh, this card was a great card, too. It was a triple main event. Uh, Buzz Sawyer opened up the night against Terry Gibbs. Buzz Sawyer was a, wow, he was an up-and-comer man back in those days. Hometown favorite, Ricky Fields, uh, born in Mobile and raised in Mobile, wrestled against Ken Dillinger, uh, Tony Charles, a regular opponent uh, the last couple of weeks, David Schultz. Uh, took took a little time off. He went home to Tennessee for Christmas. Couldn't blame him for that. Heck, Ronnie Garvin had gone to Canada, right, uh, up there in uh, Knoxville. But uh, the crowd wasn't upset by the guy who replaced Schultz because uh, uh, Rob threw Gorgeous George Jr. in there against the Englishman, man, who was one of the best wrestlers in the world. So it was a little tough night for Gigi. Uh, <laughs> and the special event that I mentioned a few minutes ago mm -hmm. that uh, Rob had started in Mobile only two weeks earlier, Norvell Austin had gotten involved. Uh, kind of the way this had worked was – uh, Austin got involved in Robert and Jimmy's tag match with Billy Spears. Uh, you know, he went out to help Spears, right? And Carson and, you know, then Carson and the assassin were the team they were facing. And, uh, and so Norville Austin got into it specifically with Robert. This is the way this kind of began. And that led to a single match the next week between Rob and Norvell. And, uh, on that single match, then Spears came down to get involved on Norvell's behalf 
and they actually cost Norvell to lose. So it wasn't, didn't work out too good for him. Uh, so uh, it's a uh, then on the last uh, mobile card, uh, the last night before this one that we're talking about, Rob put up $2,500 against Norvell's $2,500 that he could beat not only Norvell, but Norvell and Billy Spears, both of them at the same time. One against the two with the winner getting all the money. So when Rob and Norvell were really going at it, they were having this match. They had the five grand at stake. Uh, Spears, uh, who was supposed to be in the match, he jumped down off the ring. He grabbed the checks from the announcer for twenty for $5,000 and started for the dressing room. And uh, Rob caught him and got his check back. But Norvell was still down and hurt. Robert got him down. And uh, he ended up having to chase Spears to the dressing room for his check. Well, then when he got to the dressing room, he obviously had been in that dressing room since he got there. Uh, he goes in after Spears, and uh, not long, man, uh, the, the assassin, Doc Carson, and Spears, all three of them, beat the heck out of him, man, bloody him up, and they threw him out of the dressing room. <laughs> so all of that was recorded, and we we're going to show all that uh, the week later, man. So. Wow. So, uh, fourth match on this card was uh, then the, the, they're kind of giving you the lead up to all this. Fourth match on this card uh, was Norvell Austin against Billy Spears. And the winner was going to get the $2,500 check from the week before. So then they had the Southeastern tag belts on the line. Uh, Rob and Jimmy uh, defending against Don Carson, the assassin, managed by Billy Spears. And that one was a no DQ match. The last match was the Texas death match between Bob Armstrong and the Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Okay, so that's a great six-match card. What happened that night? Well, Buzz Sawyer won again, and he was undefeated since his arrival down there. I wasn't surprised by that, neither was Rob. Uh, Ricky Fields uh, won his match over Ken Dillinger. And as you might imagine, Tony Charles didn't have much problem with Gorgeous George Jr. <laughs> I don't know that he won the match. I think Rob said Gigi just ran to the dressing room before he got his rear end beat bad. Uh, Rob said that Norvell uh, in the next deal uh, was tearing the house down in his match, whipping Billy Spears' butt big time, Rob said. And along came Carson and the assassin, both of them hit the ring. Uh, referee tried to stop him, but uh, Rob said they threw him over the top rope. Uh, Carson nailed Norvell uh, with the loaded glove, and the three of them and left. Rob said uh, Norvell a bloody mess again a week after they'd done it before. Wow. And uh, at the end of it, Billy Spears covered him. The referee never got back in the ring, and uh, he and Carson and this assassin counted Austin out, and uh, so they basically stole Norvell's money again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then there was a tag match. Uh, Rob said it was really wild, and, and it was a no DQ match, which that kind of basically opened the door for Spears to do about anything he wanted to. And uh, and then uh, in that match, Norvell uh, came back after they had beat him up pretty good, and he came back to the ringside and he got his revenge, man, on all three of those guys. He just hit the ring. Rob and Jimmy stood in the corner. And he just tore their butts up. <laughs> uh, 
And then, uh, so the assassin was the one that couldn't get up, and Rob went over and pinned him, and him and Jimmy got their hands raised, and so they left the ring, and they took Norvell with him, man. Now, now he's 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 over, and uh, <laughs> so Rob said, Rob said, he said, me and Jimmy walked to the dressing room, and he said Norvell didn't walk. He said they put him on their shoulders, Ron, and they carried him <laughs> to the dressing room. Wow, <laughs> he, said he was the biggest star of the night. <laughs> All right. All right, definitely a big night. So how about attendance for Mobile? And were you thinking about giving up? I mean, uh, giving us uh, even more results? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give you some more. You know, uh, Bob Armstrong, he got he got beat in his Texas death match, which was the last one uh, after that. It was probably pretty hard to follow that tag match. And, uh, wow, when the Stomper won the match against Armstrong in a, a Texas death match, and he didn't do it legally, Obviously, he got himself a police brigade back to the dressing room. Uh, so the attendance, uh, you know, was a – Mobile was a tremendous city for wrestling. I was always amazed with it. My dad told me, he said, you're going to be in one of the best wrestling cities in the world. Uh, that night it had almost 7,000 – had 6,900 fans in the auditorium there. And I have no idea how many would have been there if that match could have taken place on Christmas night, it would have been yeah. even bigger. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the other four cities that week had 15,200 fans in four cities. Uh, so it had a weekly total of 22,100 people. So it had a thousand more fans in just five events rather than Southeastern Knoxville had in six. Wow. Pretty wow. amazing, man. <laughs> that Southeastern uh, Gulf coast was on fire. Wow. All right. So, Stud, you're getting pretty good at this. This is episode number 280. Do you think you can hold out for a, a second half of this show? Yeah, I think we'll make it, man. <laughs> yeah, we're going to crank it up in the second half. Yeah, I, I, I think it's coming. Absolutely. That's a great first half. So, all right. So much more coming up after the break. And we're going to be looking back at the year of 1978 and then forward to 1979 and future Studcast. Stay with us. Number 280 continues in a moment. Okay, Studcast fans, listen up. Here is a YouTube bulletin from Ron. Join Ron in January on YouTube Southeastern Rewind for the first Ask the Stud question and answer show. This is an opportunity to ask any question you wish about old school wrestling to the Tennessee stud himself. Look for his post on Christmas Day on all of his social media sites and leave your questions there. Be the first to ask the stud and see him answer it on YouTube Southeastern Rewind. He'll be announcing the day of the show in January on the next Studcast, Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. Okay, welcome back to another Studcast, David Summers and the Tennessee Stud. Let's give you another reminder about next week. We'll be off next week. The stud gets a, a rare rest next week, but we're back with episode number 281 Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the brand new year, January 4th, the first Wednesday of January, we'll be back with episode number 281. All right, so as we continue on this studcast, number 279 is called Christmas Week 1978 and much more. So the last half of this studcast is going to be a little bit different than most. We've already looked at the last two cards of Christmas Week the results of those cards and a lot of attendance figures in the last week of 1978. So I think you said earlier, Ryan, that we're going to focus 
on a look back at 1978 and then forward at upcoming stud cast about Southeastern's 1979. That's a lot to cover. So we got a big second half coming up. Where do we ride to first? How about we start with why we had such a great year in 1978? Kind of in spite of the recession the country was in at that point and us and some of the events that created that success. Uh, so in 1977, as it had ended, uh, it was the best year so far in Southeastern wrestling history. And uh, I just finalized the deal in the end of 1977 to purchase Gulf Coast uh, from my family members, the Fields Brothers. And we weren't going to open business there until March of 1978. So to prepare for that opening, a second territory, southeastern Gulf Coast, something that had never been done by any NWA wrestling company in history, uh, that second territory. So I began to recruit talent. And the mere fact that we were expanding the company, that alone kind of lit up the the not only the new crew that I was hiring to take down to Gulf Coast, but even the existing crew in Knoxville were really hyped up about it. And uh, where business there was just really growing in the early months of 1978, Knoxville territory was in great shape while doing real big business. And in that first month alone of 1978, we added to the Knoxville crew all the following that would be going south in March. David Schultz, Mike Stallings, Eddie Mansfield, Frankie Lane, uh, Randy Colley, who wrestled in Knoxville as the hangman, but it was going to end up in Gulf Coast as assassin number one. And we also uh, had to be, began to do two shows in Knoxville every Saturday, two TV shows. So the second show of every Saturday was sent down to the new territory, down to the Gulf Coast TV stations, uh, and uh, both crews were becoming excited about the future, man, and what was to come. They knew that when they spent a lot of time in Knoxville that uh, and they were beginning to be old and stale, they were going to have opportunity to work with the same people, just go south. And instead of being in the mountains and the beautiful lakes, they'd be on the beach in Pensacola. So, <laughs> so yeah, and, you know, my, it was hard not to be pretty excited about that, man, yes. if you were a wrestler. You know, uh, so I said I would point out some events in 1978 that created some of the success we experienced. So the first event I want to talk about was in Knoxville in February 1978. And it was just two weeks before the opening of Southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, it was a Harley race versus Joe LaDuke and Tony Charles versus Nelson Royal Double world title sellout, man. I mean, all these Harley race shows were sold out. This was two world titles, and it definitely sold out. In that night on that card, Robert Gibson and Bob Armstrong. Bob Armstrong returned as the Georgia Jawjacker, uh, and he had uh, he had not been there in a while. So, wow, people were sure happy to see him again. Uh, both those guys were on the card. And along with no less than 10 of the 14 guys that were in that Gulf Coast crew were on that card that night. Wow. And, uh, wow. So two weeks later, they're going to be in Dothan, Alabama on March 3rd, 1978, on my 30th birthday. That's with the day that we opened the territory down there. Wow. wow. Okay. All right. So I'd forgotten that you opened the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory, and that was a milestone birthday for you, 30 years. 
So a lot of work and thought had really been put into opening the opening of the second territory. So at that point, southeastern Knoxville was really kicking, really rocking. But I don't think the new territory got off to the start that you had expected or had it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an understatement, Dave. I mean, <laughs> it was actually a horrible start. Man. <laughs> you know, we had to refund the money to fans in several of the cities the first nights that we went to some of those cities because there wasn't enough fans in the building to, to have the matches. So then when it picked up a little bit, we briefly lost our largest of the three Alabama TV stations we were on because of a controversy angle between David Schultz and Charlie Cook. Uh, so thankfully, <laughs> I had selected some tough-minded wrestlers, man, uh, to open the territory with me and Bob Armstrong. And boy, this group of wrestlers, they weren't to be denied success, man. I mean, they just wouldn't. They were determined. So after a very risky, huge billboard buy, as some fans may remember we talked about back in the early summer of 1978, uh, we had the billboard buy. We had some tremendous matches in the cities. We had hot finishes, and we had riots, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> many of them, like the one I got cut in in Panama City <laughs> in the early part of the summer of 1978. Uh, basically, the territory caught on fire after it had that sh really bad start. It just exploded. So uh, speaking to riots, Dave, you know, uh, when I was doing the research for this episode, I stumbled on a quote, man, about wrestling fans in the Knoxville News Sentinel newspaper. It was a, an article from August of 1978, and it was talking to a guy named Jack Hubbs who was the assistant manager for the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. Mm -hmm. He was in charge of security when their events were held there, you know? Uh, so, uh, and, uh, and he had a statement in there. He said uh, that, uh, you know, the role of handling security, it was a tough chore. Obviously it was. Then he said, wrestling is by far the biggest headache for me. He said, those fans can really be rowdy. He said, I'd rather work seven <laughs> rock and roll shows and a country music shindig than one wrestling show. He said, I have to take a couple of aspirins even before wrestling shows start. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, thought that, that fans might like that. And, you know, that's a great quote about August of 1978. But, uh, you know, we did have some rowdy fans. There's no doubt about that. All right. I can't believe you found that in the newspaper. I can, however, believe that somebody in charge of security at the matches uh, did say it. But, hey, to me, uh, what do they always say? As long as they're talking about me, right? So that people were like reading that going, well, why did I miss that night? So, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> You know, a, a riot is sometimes it's not always a bad thing. So. Right. <laughs> On future box office, maybe. So I don't know. So, uh, uh, so let's take another, I'll tell you what, man, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about another Knoxville major event day, but uh, all right. uh, a two night one. This one was a two night event that took place in the Coliseum. On the last day of August, 1978, and the first day of September, 1978, it was the first ever fan interactive uh, two-night tournament in which a lucky lady was going to leave the building on the second night with a mink coat. 
depending on who she picked uh, to win the tournament. Uh, it was the only back-to-back. It's pretty amazing. It was the only back-to-back total sellout of the same event in the history of that building. We didn't just sell out one night. We sold out two nights in a row. Uh, and uh, so with both territories attendance combined in that week, you know, talking about this week in which we had that uh, two-night tournament, mm-hmm. uh, Southeastern, for the first time, we went over 50,000 fans for the week. Whoa. Uh, that was back in September. Uh so nothing like that event had ever been done before anywhere in the world. No, nobody did that type of thing. And, uh, but uh, crazy as it was, we followed that up 21 days later with another Knoxville sellout. Uh, the winner of the Mink Coat Tournament, Ronnie Garvin, uh, wrestled against the NWA World Champion Harley Race. And uh, because we had two territories at that time, Harley stayed several days instead of just one day as he always had done before because we just had one territory one major town mm-hmm. uh, now we got two territories with they let him have him four day four shots so he worked two shows in september uh in late september in southeastern knoxville he worked two matches then in southeastern gulf coast uh sold out all four nights all four cities and in that week alone the company entertained well over 50,000. In fact, we broke the previous record three weeks later. Wow. You've always talked about how much he loved coming to your territory to do shows for you. All right. So I've done all these stud cats with you this year, Ron. But now, after hearing this one, I'm realizing just how big a year Southeastern had in 1978. So was there any more big weeks in the year? Uh, yeah, actually, man, Thanksgiving week was huge, man, in both territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another week, uh, well over 40,000. Uh, we went over 40,000 that week combined with the attendance of both territories. And uh, during this time, we had all these new wrestlers coming into Knoxville. That We had guys going from Knoxville to Gulf Coast. Uh, it was just rocking, man. Things were really good. And then we ended the year with this very good Christmas week that I just talked about. Okay, so do you have any final attendance figures for 1978 that includes, like, both territories? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as best I can tell, Dave, you know, uh, and going back and trying to get all these figures was really, really difficult. But we were very close. and We might have even reached that milestone, man, of one million fans in a year. So that number would have filled the University of Tennessee's Neyland football stadium 10 times in one year. That's wow. how many people came to wrestling. Uh, and we were drawing almost twice as many fans as Tennessee football's team was <laughs> putting into the stadium. So Southeastern wrestling had become in Knoxville and, uh, and while it was becoming down there along the Gulf Coast, one of the most popular professional sports in in that part of the country. Where, wow. Wherever we went, we were big time. <laughs> and Neyland Stadiums is, I think, in the at least the top three, maybe top five of largest stadiums uh, in America, period. So that is absolutely saying a lot. So I think the only thing you have not covered that you mentioned in the opening is the TV ratings in both territories. 
Yes, uh, Southeastern Knoxville TV. Let's start with Southeastern Knoxville. Uh, obviously, the TV ratings there were outstanding, man. Uh, but but we, we, we'd been there for four years, and uh, we kept building those ratings con- constantly. I mean, we, we worked uh, toward uh, big events and big matches during the rating period, and we really tried to get the, the big numbers, the biggest we could. And uh, those ratings had grown from a 40 share when I got there. That was only a 40 share. And uh, now in 1978, it was basically an unheard of 80 share. And, uh, you know, I've, I've explained it a few times, but, uh, you know, that meant that by the end of 1978, with an 80 share, four out of every five homes that were watching TV <laughs> during our time slot were watching wrestling. <laughs> so we had four TV stations in the southeastern Knoxville territory, and those numbers made us by far the most watched local show in every market we were in. Nobody became was even close. We were the biggest. Uh, in fact, we had the biggest audience from sign on to prime time on Saturdays. Uh, so to tremendous numbers. Uh, now, Southeastern Gulf Coast situation was completely different. You know, Southeastern Wrestling and its wrestlers, this was our first year down there, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody had seen any of their wrestlers. They didn't know anything about Southeastern Wrestling. Uh, there were three television stations in that territory. And, uh, you know, in that territory, uh, they were had all those stations uh, were below 40 share, you know. Uh, and it was similar to what was in Knoxville when I started there. We, we only had three rating periods that we had been in business down there. We had the May book, we had the July book, and we had uh, the November book. And uh, with only those three rating periods since our arrival, uh, by the time we got that last book in November, uh, and that book had just come in uh, and, uh, toward the end of December 1978, we had grown from a 40 share to a 60 share in a period of uh, eight months. We grew our audience by more than 100% in eight months. And station managers were astounded with that down there, man. They, they, they you know, we were going to almost double that number again in the next year. <laughs> wow. All this is so interesting, Ron. I love hearing about this. It sounds like you were headed toward that unbelievable 80 share in Gulf Coast as well. And I'm sure we'll hear about that eventually. All right. So can you tell us about the last thing you mentioned for today? A look into the future into 1979? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I think the best of these studcasts, uh, we've been doing them now for quite a while, man. Uh, I think we're getting to the best of them now, Dave. I think 1979 and what uh, these studcasts upcoming are going to be the best. Uh, 1978 was a wonderful year for me and for Southeastern. 1979 was an absolute nightmare. Hmm. You know, we're headed in the most difficult year in my wrestling career. Uh, we're going to get into great depth. Uh, we're going to discuss something few fans have any knowledge of. And the worst thing that could happen to a wrestling owner, we're going to talk about a war in, in, a, in a man's in a guy's territory. And, jeez, uh, it's a terrible, terrible experience uh, uh, it, for fans as well as the owners and promoters and the wrestlers. 
Uh, and it was made even more personal when some of my wrestlers and those that I thought were really close friends of mine uh, actually became my enemies, man. So, uh, uh, and I was having to watch the territory uh, during this year of 1979, having to watch that Knoxville territory where I'd spent five years of my life building that company start to crumble right before my eyes. Couldn't do anything about it either. Uh, I watched the attendance fall in 1979, not just about uh, as fast as it grew from 1974 to get there, you know, it started dropping just as fast in 1979, back toward that 1974 time frame. It was a horrible experience. It almost made me want to leave the sport entirely. I just, uh, it was pretty, really, pretty difficult to, to deal with. And there were other facets of this year, 1979, that I had never encountered that played a part in this upcoming war. Uh, First, there was a question of, of my family itself, man, and where their heads were. little problem with Rob and my dad. Uh, we're going to talk about all these things in the upcoming Studcast. Uh, we've talked about the great success of Southeastern Gulf Coast in 1978. In 1979, we're going to see it almost collapse as a territory. It becomes goes right back to being almost as bad as it was when it went there originally. Uh, so uh, so we're going to discuss the unexpected booker changes, a drop-off in talent, uh, a, a drop-off in attendance, and, and all in, in the fall of 1979, uh, a group even was trying to take over southeastern Gulf Coast because of we were have, I was having problems in Tennessee. I guess they assumed they could just step in and take over down there as well. So uh, so. You know, <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty bleak right there. So uh, let's end this this one with something positive, man, uh, <laughs> because it wasn't all bad though. Uh, the new southeastern Gulf Coast Booker, who's going to be Louis Tillet, who worked for me in 1975, who had booked in uh, Georgia, who had booked the Florida territory. He was a darn good Booker. Uh, he was able to bring a new young talent that's going to hone his skills. And in less than a year, this guy is going to make his way from Southeastern to the Georgia Territory <laughs> and on to the big time in New York. Terry Bolia is going to become Terry Boulder and the Hulk in Southeastern, and he's going to become Hulk Hogan and WWF all in one year. Wow. And he would also become the most recognized wrestler in history. So, um, these are just a few of the subjects, man, we're going to talk about in the future Studcast, Dave. Uh, sometimes, man, adversity and hard times are just as compelling and interesting as good times when you tell about a story. <laughs> and uh, and this is a true story that, 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 that we do here and that we tell here. And uh, mm -hmm. I think Studcast fans are, are in for the very interesting ride from here on, man. Well, you said it was going to ratchet up, and you were definitely right on that. I really had no idea there was such so much going on in your life in 1979. You're about to you're about to turn 31 years old. I think you are. So, but it sounds like to me, speaking of studcast, really the best is absolutely yet to come. All right, and listen, I can't believe we made it, but we did. Let's get it in. It's a learning tree question, and it's the last one of 2022, Ron. So. It comes from a gentleman named Mark Frazier, and it's a perfect question 
for this time of year. Mark says, what was Christmas like for members of the Welch family? Did lots of family members get together and get wrestling gear for presents? And what was your favorite Christmas like? A holiday memory coming from the stud. Man, you're right, Dave. That's a perfect learning tree question for this time of year. Yeah. So, so uh, geez, I got to thank, uh, thank Mark. Uh, yet, I think it's his name. I think, uh, and uh, for sending that question. And uh, so, uh, let's the Welches and the Fields and the Fullers and the Goldens family. Uh, these were all Welch members, man. They we were spread all over the southern United States. I don't ever remember all of the family getting together for Christmas. Uh, uh, and, you know, <laughs> if we'd have gotten together, Dave, there would have been a whole lot of head locks and hammer locks, <laughs> front face locks, and wrist locks. And, and uh, you know, it, it would have been, I don't know, somebody had got hurt. Maybe several people would have probably got hurt before it was over. Uh, you know, and I'm sure, Mark, uh, there would also have been a new wrestling gear presence and some exchanges and new holes as well. And uh, with as many, you know, what we're talking about that may happen up here in Kentucky, you know, that would happen for sure at some kind of uh, these type of Christmases with the Welches. <laughs> but uh, as many family members as we had spread over four generations and more than 20 of us were wrestlers, you know, we could have had a pretty good battle roll between us for Christmas. <laughs> oh, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> no teller what would have gone on. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry something like that never happened, never happened in a way. So uh, uh, talk about stories. Uh, it would have lasted for days. <laughs> Christmas might have just gone on and on. So uh, so I want to focus on his last question, though, that he asked. Uh, what was my favorite Christmas? And uh, that's an easy one for me. And, and I think that would be an easy one for my brother as well for both of us and uh and the, the my favorite christmas i guess uh happened in 1963 uh i was in high school rob was in junior high and my father had quit wrestling at a fairly early age he retired because of something that happened between him and his father uh and i, I don't uh, don't need to get into that now uh, but when he retired he purchased a huge farm uh, actually, it was more than 2,000 acres. It was in Mississippi. It was just outside a little town called Potts Camp. We lived in an even smaller town, seven miles outside Potts Camp, called Bethlehem. Now, that's pretty appropriate for the story, right, Dave? I mean, we lived in Bethlehem, Mississippi, <laughs> Christmas, Christmas Day. Right? Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so I always said, you know, uh, we lived so far back in the woods, they had to pipe in sunshine, man. When <laughs> 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 the sun could hardly find us. So, uh, you know, we were full-time farmers. We had all the animals that came with that. Uh, the farm had been an old southern plantation. Uh, it had several sharecropper houses on the property. Uh, they dated back into the, you know, the the, the farm did to back in the 1800s. Uh, uh, very poor farmers uh, lived in those homes. Many of them were blacks, and they lived in those houses. They planted crops, and they shared the harvest with the planta plantation owner. 
That's where the sharecropper name came from. So there was a little share, you know, was very little of that going on anymore in 1963 in those days. But the former owner, before my dad bought it, charged the people who lived in those houses rent each month. You know, they couldn't they couldn't grow crops, and uh, and they, that that was uh, kind of an old way of doing things. And so he had the people pay rent. So my father, man, had a big heart, man. And uh, so when he brought the property, he, he, he went out around to every one of those families and he told them that they never had to pay rent again. They could live in their homes rent free. And uh, so this one special Christmas, 1963, when we lived on this farm, uh, our father came to me and Rob and he asked us about an idea he had. It was just before Christmas, about a week or two before Christmas. And he said, I got an idea, you know, uh, uh, about Christmas, guys. And uh, he said, I wanted to know if you two guys would be willing to give up all your Christmas presents to buy Christmas for us to go out, me and, and your mom, to go out and buy presents for all the kids that live in all these sharecropper homes. You know? Uh, wow. So, uh, so long story short, uh, you know, I was by, it was by far the best Christmas we ever had, man. And, uh, you know, we went there and went to all those homes. And it's hard to explain the pressure and the, of seeing the, the eyes of all those kids who were lucky to usually get one little gift for Christmas light up, man. Mm-hmm. As we went from house to house passing out Christmas joy, man. Wow. So, uh, so thanks, Mr. Frazier, uh, for this great question. Wow. You know, and a, and a great time. And, uh, heck Dave, uh, seems like this is a perfect time to wish everybody out there, all our listeners, man, a very Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Oh boy. Stud, I tell you what, you did it with that story right there. You have done it again. I had no idea your father had that kind of heart. I knew he had a big heart and I've heard a lot of stories, but that story is absolutely beautiful and touching. You would never expect something like that to come from a wrestler that's wow all right so on facebook folks if you would like to become friends with ron to participate in the dueling cards pick and tv pick as well but are not already friends you can become friends by going to his ron fuller the tennessee stud facebook page like him follow him there automatically become friends with a legend look for his stud cast number 280 that's this one that's the post you're looking for number 280 and make your choices on Twitter. Find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. If you have not already done so, follow him there. It's another way to participate. Look for Studcast number 280, as we said, to make your choice. The YouTube channel in Southeastern Rewind is still rocking. Be looking for the special YouTube only Ask the Stud Question and Answer Show. That is going to be coming in January of the brand new year, 2023. He's going to be leaving a post on his social media sites Christmas Day, this coming Christmas Day, 2022, for your questions. Leave your questions there. He will announce the date of this exclusive Ask the Stud YouTube show on his next Studcast. So stay tuned for more about that. All right, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. That's where you find everything that is the Tennessee Stud. 
His classic old school TV shows are absolutely great. There are now 95 Southeastern, 23 Continental, 12 Gulf Coast TV shows available, all in the order in which they were recorded. Hundreds more are coming. 49 stud stories, six stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, and 16 episodes of his audiobook, Brutus, plus hundreds of hours of other fantastic old school wrestling. And on the audiobook, it's all in the voice of the Tennessee stud. All right. All of this for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year, plus the free one week trial is still available. It is the best deal in old school wrestling. It is the best deal in wrestling, period. All right, stud. So where are we riding next year when we come back? Well, we're going to welcome the year 1979, man. Uh, we're going to have two great New Year Day cards to talk about. Uh, we'll have uh, Southeastern Knoxville and in that uh, card. There's a title match, obviously, a Southeastern title match. Uh, both men going to be blindfolded. A Southeastern tag team uh, a title match, a Boston Street Fight Rules match. A Russian Death match is going to be on that card. Uh, the TV show to promote it, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the results of the card and the attendance and then we'll get to the southeastern Gulf Coast. We're going to talk about a rare Montgomery card uh, on New Year's Day, uh, which was uh, on a Monday anyway. Uh, and uh, it had four main events on this one. Southeastern title match, a southeastern tag title match, a 10-round boxing match, and it had the Norvell Austin versus Billy Spears match there. So the TV promoting it, uh, we'll talk about that, the results of the matches and the attendances in that part of the territory as well. Uh, the Knoxville War, uh, we're going to have some info on that next week and just about every week uh, during 1979. There's so much to talk about uh, and so many different uh, facts and, and things that happened. Uh, wow, it's uh, going to be amazing for fans that, uh, that have no idea of what this was all about. Uh, so we're going to talk about the war and hopefully, uh, given enough time, we'll have a chance next week for another learning tree question. So, uh, one last reminder, uh, no stud cast, like you have said, Dave, a couple of times here, no stud cast next week. We'll be back on Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. Uh, I want to thank everybody for, for your support this past year. Uh, please take care of yourselves and others. A Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and may God bless us all. Merry Christmas, Stud. Happy New Year to you as well. God bless you, too. I'm David Summers for Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.